back to the One Foot Down podcast. I'm Eric Murtaugh, editor-in-chief of OneFootDown.com. Big win for Notre Dame over the weekend. They moved to 3-0. They defeat a ranked Georgia Tech team that came into the South Bend as two-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, Brian Kelly picks up another win as a home dog. Um, I believe I saw somewhere on the Internet that he has a pretty great record uh, as a top-ten team uh, so far in his career, so that's a good sign. We've got... Two guys on the podcast with me today. Um, per usual, we have Phil, a.k.a. Young, Curmudgeon, uh, with us on the podcast. And also, reporting from Canada, we have Lars back on the podcast. Guys, how are you doing today? Doing great. Yep, doing really well. Keeping warm up here. That's great. Uh, summer's almost over where I am. It's starting to get cold, a little chilly today over the weekend. Um, had a pretty terrible Saturday, just poured all day, but uh, luckily I was able to watch all of the awesomeness that was on the field in South Bend. Um, Notre Dame wins at 30-22. to 22. Score doesn't really indicate how much of a, a butt-whooping this was. Uh, we'll probably open things up with the defense here and how they did such a great job against the triple option. Uh, the teams poured in 29 points in the fourth quarter. <clears throat> Excuse me, Georgia Tech scoring a couple... Uh, late touchdowns after recovering uh, an onside kick to add uh, another score. Made it a little bit closer than the final score. So, guys, uh, you know, there was a lot of worry about how Notre Dame was going to come into this game stopping the triple option. The defense um, didn't really look good against Virginia last week. Um, lots of questions about, you know, what was Bob Elliott doing over the summer to get this team ready? Uh, would Brian Van Gorder be putting players in position to succeed, you know, and would the players really go out there and uh, and take their superior athleticism and, and, you know, really shut down this Georgia Tech team, and really across the board, I think they uh, they checked every box and they scored, you know, I wouldn't really have any problems saying this was an A-plus effort and execution from from uh, Notre Dame. Lars, let's start with you since you haven't been on the podcast in a while. What do you think about this defensive effort from Notre Dame? Oh, I thought it was uh, outstanding and, and certainly put me in the category as someone who's concerned coming in. And, you know, I felt like we really hadn't truly stopped the, the option pretty much since 2012. Um, you know, and, and uh, so I was very, very impressed. And there's a couple things that stood out for me. First of all, just the athleticism of the defense really shined, I thought. Um, you know, we were flying to the football, uh, and in particular, to be more specific, I thought our guys did a great job of defeating cut blocks in the open field, which can be a really hard thing to do. Um, they got off those blocks, and they made tackles. And then I thought our tackling in space was very good as well. Um, Navy, or Navy, sorry, Georgia Tech's got some obviously some very good athletes, and I thought we did a phenomenal job of, of wrapping them up and, and not having many plays where, uh, you know, they sort of broke a tackle and, and had a big run. So I I thought it was a very impressive performance from the defense, and uh, you know Van Gorder. I was I was critical of him uh, last week, and and certainly I think he did a very nice job, obviously, in the entire coaching staff. But you know, for me, the biggest thing was, boy, were we good in the open field against cut blocks, and and that's just so critical. Yeah, um, you know, I talked a little bit about my review. Georgia Tech was limited to only 4.7 yards per play. That was their lowest. Um, in about 15 games, going back to their bowl game a couple of years ago. Uh, that was the worst uh, average with Justin Thomas at quarterback. Um, you know, there was really, until they got the ball on that second-to-last touchdown drive, they had only averaged 4.05 yards per play. I mean, not a lot of yards at all. I mean, the first half especially, 143 yards, 48 came on one carry. They shut down Georgia Tech on all the other first-half plays, running 99 yards. Phil, what did you think about this effort? Uh, did you see this coming at all? Uh, were you surprised, or did you think that they might have, you know, rebounded as well as they did after the Virginia fiasco? I thought that they were going to play well, um, and they obviously came out and did that just because I thought that they had the athletes to do so. I was going to be concerned about. I was really concerned about the scheme, uh, the various uh, assignment football, and also. Uh, the fundamentals that seem to be a little lacking in the Virginia game, not wrapping up, not, you know, uh, staying with your assignments, not, you know, playing good fundamentals. I think one thing uh, that helped a lot 
was when you look at Brian Van Gorder in the last couple of games since he's been a coach here, you'll notice he has sort of this, uh, it looks almost like a, a fan-shaped uh, plague sheet or something where it's got a lot of, it's, it seems a little complex that there's a lot of plays in there and all that kind of stuff. And if you watched him yesterday, he had a little tiny, looked almost like a scrap of paper in his hands. So that sort of looked to me as if he just simplified things, keep it nice and simple, play fundamental football, and let the athletes that you have go out and just beat the athletes that they have, um, which is sort of what we were talking about last week. And, you know, it looks like he made that adjustment. And hopefully we can see something a little more simplified and just uh, taking advantage of the athletes he has going forward. One of the things that I know, Lars, you talked about this a little bit behind the scenes was uh, Notre Dame was doing some shifts. And after the game, Brian Kelly mentioned that they were doing this. They wanted to uh, give Justin Thomas different looks uh, to try to confuse him, and it seemed like that paid off. Yeah, I, they did a nice job, and I agree with with uh, Phil that basically it was a simple game plan. Put your guys in the right positions and let them go be athletes. But I thought Notre Dame did a nice job of sprinkling in some different mixes. And in particular, there was at least two timeouts that Georgia Tech had to call uh, because of a, a shift that Notre Dame did. And what they did is they shifted all of their linemen over to one side of the formation, so basically center guard tackle and over. And then they took Jalen and, and Joe Schmidt and moved them over and, and put them over the other guard and tackle. And uh, Georgia Tech didn't know what to do with that. So it was a nice job of having that, you know, pretty standard, we're going to line up and we're going to go play football with a nice little sprinkling of, uh, of some different looks that I think just kept Georgia Tech off their, uh, off their game all day. Another thing that came out uh, behind the scenes uh, today was the, the fact that Notre Dame basically took a collection of walk-ons and said, you're running the option, you're going to perfect the option, and Notre Dame's basically been practicing against those walk-ons um, ever since fall camp started, uh, practicing against this unit, um, if not every practice, at least pretty pretty much every practice. Uh, I'm not really sure on the, on the uh, you know, if that's something that's true, they played them against every practice. Phil, you think this is something that was a... Uh, a pretty great program move by Brian Kelly and probably something we'll see going forward as, uh, you know, obviously Navy's on the schedule every year and we'll start to see Georgia Tech here and there uh, once in a while as well. Yeah, I think it was definitely a good move on his part. Um, one thing that is very heartening for me is that I like to see that the coach is being uh, attentive to places that we don't always, you know, show up in games we don't always show up or things that we don't do well and putting a lot of focus on repairing those things. Um, and I'd like to see more of that going forward. The one thing that I'm kind of afraid of is that, wow, we just saw a great defensive performance by this unit because they spent so much extra time prepping for it and now going forward against more conventional offenses, we're going to go back to the same old that we were just so ready for this, this offense by Georgia Tech and it's not going to translate into uh, defensive performance, better defensive performance throughout the rest of the year. Um, so hopefully Kelly has us ready to go for the rest of the year with the rest of the more conventional things we're going to see. Yeah, I wondered if we'll see a little bit of a letdown even this week against UMass, who likes to throw the ball a lot. I'm sure there's going to be some annoying uh, third-down conversions by the Minutemen. Let's talk about uh, Navy coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, I'm going to this game. I'm scared to death that they're going to lose. Um, you know, one of the things I talked about in my preview with Georgia Tech was that I thought, you know, maybe the Yellow Jackets have more athleticism, better athletes, but I kind of had the feeling that Navy's more disciplined, um, a little bit better with their fundamentals, and, you know, I'm not taking anything away from the Notre Dame defense on Saturday, but, you know, especially early on, there was a couple pitches that were off the mark that almost caused some uh, fumbles that could have been huge mistakes by Georgia Tech. Uh, you know, they slipped a couple times on the edge. Uh, Justin Thomas had that really crazy pitch back when he was getting sacked. There's a couple things that didn't really look like Georgia Tech was really on their game, and we don't normally see that from Navy. Navy's usually, like, right on the nuggets with their execution. Uh, any worries now that we've kind of tipped our hand a little bit? I know this has been a worry for me for a while, you know, I, I kind of like that we're playing Georgia Tech first, the quote-unquote tougher team, but now Navy kind of gets to see what we did against uh, Georgia Tech and gets to uh, spend two or three weeks kind of game planning against us. What do you think, Lars? 
Yeah, I, I think that's a factor for sure. Now they, they see how we're going to line up and, and uh, I mean, Navy's exceptional at making adjustments based on what you do. Um, so yeah, that's that's certainly a factor. Um, on the other side of, of it, you know, I think the defense has some confidence now and they know that they can stop the uh, the option if they just do what they're supposed to do and, and uh, they'll be in good shape that way. So certainly, uh, I still think the advantage is to Notre Dame that way. I would agree with you 100% though. Navy... Navy plays, I mean, Navy really is a true rivalry game now in a lot of ways, and, and Navy does play us different. And I, generally speaking, I'm not a huge fan of that argument that, oh, other teams get up for Notre Dame, et cetera, et cetera. Navy is unique. Uh, you know, the type of, of player that, the type of athlete that goes to Navy, those tend to be pretty exceptional people. And, um, you know, they're certainly capable of playing an incredibly disciplined. We've seen them a number of times play in essence, almost a mistake-free game against Notre Dame. Right. And when you get the, the type of kids that go to Navy and they get locked in and, and focused, uh, it, it's tough. They can execute at a pretty high level. So I think in some ways, you know, it really annoyed me what happened at the end of the game, but I think that'll be good for Notre Dame. Um, I think it'll actually help them against Navy with the realization that if you let your guard down even a little bit, you're going to be in some trouble. And I think uh, Georgia Tech did find a couple weaknesses there late, and so Notre Dame will have an opportunity to work on those. So, yeah, it'll help Navy a little bit, but I still think uh, I still think it's a bonus for Notre Dame. Uh, what do you think happened at the end of the game there? You know, it kind of felt like uh, you know everybody on the Notre Dame sideline kind of went into uh, it was garbage minute time. Uh, you know, Brandon Wimbush was getting ready. He's throwing he's throwing the rock around on the sidelines. Kaiser had his hump, uh, his red hat on. He was talking to guys upstairs. Uh, it didn't really seem like Notre Dame really brought you know, an A plus effort like they had the whole game. They kind of let their guard down a little bit. Did you kind of get that sense as well, Phil, on those last two drives by Georgia Tech? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what happened right there. I wasn't. It didn't really look like we were going to prevent defense, and it didn't look like we had taken starters off the field or anything like that. But I don't know. I mean, they hit that one big play. I think it was their fullback in the flat. They sort of just flexed him out and uh, hit him in the flat, and there was nobody around him, and he went in. Um, I don't know what happened there, how the whole half of the field was uh, uncovered. Um, I think it was just a little bit of... Uh, losing aggressiveness. I mean, it did seem like they were playing a little passive on those last couple of drives. And like Lars said, I'll just echo what Lars said, is that, yeah, I think it's a good thing because it demonstrates to this team that you're not done yet. You need to play for a full 60 minutes, um, and there's also still room for improvement. Um, I will say, though, that I think Georgia Tech, going back to sort of what Lars was talking about, I think they got hurt by playing Alcorn State in lead and then jumping into our Because I think what happened was they were so out of sync at the beginning um, that you know they were playing a much faster team, a much more talented team on defense in Notre Dame. That you know their reads, their pitches, everything just seemed to be a little too slow. You know maybe that you know they had sort of been lulled into that by playing um, some lesser opponents early in the year. Um, and that's also one of the best ways to beat the option, which is what we're talking about. Is you need to be disruptive at the beginning and get them out of sync and get them off schedule. Um, the one other thing, to, the other piece of the puzzle there is to score more points. I would have liked to have seen more points scored in the first half because that's the other way to really put pressure on the option is to you know move the ball downfield, put points on the board, and force them to play from behind because they can't do their big long drives eating up the clock. You know if they're you know down 17 and you know need to get back in the game. So that's the only other piece of the puzzle I would say looking forward to Navy that we need to get sorted out. Okay, uh, this was a first career start for Deshaun Kaiser, redshirt freshman. Um, you know, look at his stat line. He was 21 of 30, 242 yards, touchdown pass, uh, throw a bad interception. I'm sure we're going to mention that here in a second. Uh, you know, in my recap that's going up on Monday, basically I said I thought there was a couple drops, maybe as many as four drops by Notre Dame, the balls that could have been caught. If you add those in, I mean, his statistical – line in this game would be pretty bonkers, almost 300 yards, you know, 80% accuracy. Didn't really feel like he had that great of a game, but this was a pretty strong effort from Kaiser. Um, you know, there's some miscommunication on a couple throws. Um, you know, he was kind of made some Golson-esque moves in the backfield. Uh, that, that pitch to, to pro size probably gave a lot of people some heart attacks. 
Um, but overall, you know, I really liked his, his, his control of the offense. You know, he didn't really have any clock issues. Um, he seemed really calm. You know, I think that's probably so far what we've seen, you know, in the short five quarters that he's played, really. Uh, his sense of calm is really uh, reassuring to me. It's, it doesn't seem like the stage is going to be too big, and I think that you, know, you have a quarterback like that with his skill set, you know that it's just it can be pure development from here and out. You don't have to worry about you know something bad happening and having it hit, affect him. You know, and I I liked one of the the quotes he had after the after the game talking about the interception and how it was all his fault. And basically they hashed it out in the sidelines and they just moved on. And you know they they went ahead and scored I think on the next uh, series. Um, Lars, what did you think about Kaiser's first uh, career start in Notre Dame Stadium? I really liked it. Um, very impressed with him, and you know, part of me was worried that it could be a train wreck for him, and uh, it wasn't. I thought he was very good, and uh, you know, like I, I agree with you. He, you know, he's there's a few things. He was slow on some reads. He held onto the ball a little bit too long. Those sorts of things. But you know, that happens when you're a young player. He's sort of a, a Tommy Reese in a lot of ways with with better athletic skills. I mean, he's got that very calm, cool demeanor about him. He's a smart kid. Uh, you know, I was impressed with him in the Virginia game when you saw him on on TV and you could see him talking to the O line and telling him we're going to go win this thing. And uh, and you could see all the O linemen nodding like they were with him. So he's got some leadership skills. I think he's respected by his teammates and uh, he's a good football player. I was I was very impressed. Um, you know what I think needs to happen offensively, and I agree with Phil wholeheartedly we left points on the board and uh, it worried me that entire game and the offense needs to do a better job and not so much Kaiser uh, he hit the one pick obviously but I think the guys around him who are supposed to be very good players because outside of uh, um, CJ and, and Fuller you know, I think some guys let him down a little bit. Uh, Chris Brown ended up having a pretty good game, but he had some big drops. Um, you know, and, and I thought, I realized that some of the problems that the offensive line had with some false starts were due to Kaiser and his cadence, that sort of thing, but I just felt like the offensive line was at times exceptional and really good and at times just frankly not good enough. And when you've got injuries and you've got young players playing at key positions like quarterback, the guys around them, those veteran guys, they need to step up and they need to make plays for them. And there's a number of times where our receivers didn't make plays for them where I thought our O-line let them down a little bit. You know, I'm thinking of Elmer on one pass rush where he just got destroyed and, and Kaiser had someone in his face and especially in that first half there's a lot of that going on so what I hope that happens is you know Kaiser can continue to progress he's going to make mistakes he's going to have some ups and downs but the guys around him need to play more consistently and in a higher level and not that they're not playing at a high level at times but consistently and they need to step up and make some plays for this kid. All right Phil what do you think about uh, Kaiser's first start? I liked it. You know, I, I pretty much echo everything Lars said. Uh, he came out and he you know, sort of took the reins and just, you know, just went forward. He didn't. He wasn't sort of middling around, you know, Dinkin and Duncan. He was going for the whole thing uh, from the very beginning. Um, it was kind of nice to see, particularly when they were decked down by their goal line around the time he made that pitch to CJ Prosize. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because we're so used to over the last couple of years of seeing smaller quarterbacks down in the pocket, uh, guys, you know, six foot, you know, at most. So to see a guy who's six foot three, six foot four, you know, sort of standing up there, standing upright, you know, as the pocket around them, that was sort of sort of cool to see. See him able to survey the field and sort of stand tall there. Um, I know that you know the pitch or that little shovel pass, you know, might have scared some people, but I loved it. Um, you know, it, I love to see that he's, you know, even as he's going down, he's still trying to make the play work, you know, sort of has that sort of sensibility about where people are around him on the field. Um, and I will definitely echo what Lars said about, um, about the guys around him letting him down. I mean, Alizé Jones, um, true, he's a true freshman, but at the same time, a very highly regarded one. He had a couple of drops. He had the fumble uh, that turned into a turnover. Um, you know, I guess the one thing I will say about the O-line is that even though the pieces on the O-line are very talented, Ronnie Stanley, you know, Steve Elmer, uh, Nick Martin, all those guys, you have to remember this is the third time that they're playing together in that configuration with uh, Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey uh, on that line as well. So I guess, you know, I could, 
you know, chalk up some of that to, you know, they still haven't gelled completely yet, but you kind of would have hoped that uh, your 50-year senior was not going to be responsible for, I believe it was four penalties, three of them false starts. Um, but, you know, outside of that, you know, I'd like to see a little more Corey Robinson. You know, he's kind of disappeared from the offense. Um, you know, it's basically just Will Fuller and Chris Brown um, are the only targets. And, again, I'd like to see Corey Robinson because he was an effective player uh, for the Irish last year. Yeah, I'm trying to check the stats right now. Um, I don't know what's going on with Robinson. He's not really getting any targets. You know, we had the interception in the end zone. I don't know if he was even targeted the rest of the game. Uh, he has four catches now through three games, which, you know, basically, like you said, it's all Fuller and Brown. Fuller has 18 catches. Brown has 14. No one else has more than five. Um, Carlisle and Procise are second or third, tied for third with five catches apiece. Um I mean, you, know, you can almost you can almost excuse the Fuller because Fuller gets open. You know, he is open, and it's almost too you, you kind of be dumped to pass it up. You know what I mean? So I can excuse that one, but I don't understand like why over the middle we're not seeing more Corey Robinson. It just they seem like that was his bread and butter, and we're not we're just not seeing it. Yeah, I mean, I guess you would assume that Chris Brown is just being better in practice. I mean, really through all fall camp, Chris Brown is the number one receiver on that upside of the field. Um, I want to talk about the offensive line a little bit. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because Notre Dame's rushed for over 200 yards in the first three games of the season, the first time they've done that since 1996 in Lou Holtz's last year. So it seems kind of weird to really talk about the run blocking not being great. But, you know, I was kind of going over the stats because, you know, there's some times against Georgia Tech on Saturday that, you know, the run game really wasn't doing a whole lot. And then I was like, oh. I went back and checked, and ProSize had nine runs for three yards or less. And I thought, you know, that's 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 a lot. You know, that was almost 41% of his runs. Um, you know, I think the run game right now is really benefiting, um, you know, Captain Obvious from ProSize's big playability. And uh, I know, I, I guess it's it depends on how you look at it, you know. If you're grinding out two or three yards here and there and you get a big pop from ProSize, most people would take that, but... You know, I thought in this game at least, you know, Georgia Tech did a pretty good job of balling up the Notre Dame running game. Um, and, you know, I'm still worried about that read option just kind of being non-existent. There was a couple times where it looked like Kaiser had all day to run if he kept the ball, and he, he gave it to Procise, and, you know, Procise got dropped for, you know, a yard or two. I, that, that's kind of frustrating. I'm wondering how that's going to play out against, you know, better defenses because Georgia Tech doesn't really have a very good defense. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in uh, a couple things. Um, definitely the whole read option thing scares me a little bit. Um, you know, Kaiser did keep it once. They faked the fly sweep, and he ran it up the middle and, and got a nice little run there. He's not going to really scare anyone with the read option. And again, I'm worried that we're back to the offense that we've seen for the last few years where, yeah, it's a it looks like a read option offense, but it really isn't. And uh, teams are just teeing off on the on the running back and not worried about the the quarterback keeping at all. And frankly, that's the way I'd play Kaiser. Um, I wouldn't worry about him on the keep. He might, you know, until he proves that he can do something with his feet. So I think we're definitely going to see that, Eric, and and that's something to be watching. Uh, you know coming in the games to come here. The other thing I thought was there was a time for about two quarters there where pretty much our entire offense was either throw it deep to Will Fuller or run to the outside with uh, Procise. That was about all that we had going. And so, uh, you know, fortunately Procise did break that big run and he ran it right up the middle to start, so that was good to see. But again, I think that's where we got to get a little more consistent. And I'm hoping that... Uh, you know, maybe Kaiser can do some things out of the read option game, but boy, I know they're also reluctant to to run them on that, and that makes sense because we're it's it's a little scary at the quarterback position depth wise. Yeah. I think the other thing is that if you recall back to Texas and back to uh, Virginia, is that Zaire wasn't running the read option well either. It was the same sort of thing. Is that it seemed like the defensive end was just absolutely clamping down on the running back and all Zaire had to do was, you know, just bring it, you know, sort of off tackle and he would have daylight. Um, so I think one thing we might be seeing is just that it might not be that they're not running it well, but more so that these are all just really designed runs 
and I think this is sort of what you were hinting at, Lars, is that these these are just gives to the running back from the get-go, and it just we're not uh, you know we're just sort of making it look like the read option, sort of in you know a facsimile of it. So I don't know. I I mean I did like the fact that on the goal line Kaiser went under center and tried to dive it dive it in. I really like that. Um, you know, using sort of the strength of being a tall, long guy, but I think he might have some more potential in the run game. They just need to, I don't know if they just need to teach him how to read better or just, you know, actually call true read option instead of just design gives. I thought for sure he scored on that sneak. I don't know what the officials were thinking. It looked like uh, both live and in the replay that he got in uh, on the goal line there, but it didn't really matter because Procise scored anyway in the next play. Oh. Yeah, I was just happy to see him line up under center for once. There you go. Short yardage. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Um, here's here's another weird stat that I kind of culled from the game, you know, and this kind of I, it made me think that you know, like the rushing game really wasn't on schedule a whole lot. Notre Dame didn't have a single third down of two yards or less in this game, so there wasn't really any like big, you know, short yardage situations like there was against Virginia. They had two uh, third down and three attempts. Uh, they didn't have any third down or four attempts, and then all other nine third down attempts were third and five and longer. It's kind of weird, isn't it, when you rush for over 200 yards? I mean, I think that kind of says, you know, there was a handful of really big plays by pro size, but not a whole lot of, you know, four or five yard rushes setting up third and shorts. I mean, you also had a bunch of penalties that I think negated, um, you know, uh, some of that yardage that was gained. And we didn't even do well on fourth down. I mean, we're only four for eleven. Yep. On first on on third down. So, I mean, the third down, whatever that third down package is or play call sheet needs to, they need to look at what we're doing there because if it's just poor execution or if it's just poor play call, whatever whatever is going on, it's just not getting the job done for any, from any distance. Um. But here is something promising. Uh. On those third and longs, Kaiser was seven of nine for 130 yards. Um. Uh, including four first down throws. Um, that also includes the interception in the end zone, which was obviously a, a black mark. Um, that's pretty good from Kaiser. You know, I think there were a couple completions that were short of the sticks, but I guess you'd rather see him completing the pass than not, right? Yeah, I'd say so. I think he also got hurt. I think one of Chris Brown's couple of drops was on a third down, potential third down conversion that would have had the yardage. So like Lars was saying at the beginning, is that he wasn't helped out. Um at that point, but again, I think I don't understand why we don't. It just seems like we never run a slant play or anything to get a throw over the middle. At that time, everything always seems to be to the outside, long to Fuller, or sort of like you said, these outside runs. I wonder if that's a function of they're afraid of Kaiser throwing over the middle, potentially throwing a pick, um, and therefore they're not sort of opening up that section of the offense. Yeah, that could be. Uh... I don't know why. It always seems to be, you know, one of the hallmarks of the Brian Kelly era. Is we, you know, we'll see a game where they they get four or five slants for big plays, and then we don't see the slant for another five games. Or, you know, same thing with the jet sweep, which bugs the heck out of me. You know, we had Hunter taking a sweep for eight yards, and I don't think we really tried it ever again in the game. Um, let's kind of focus on some big picture things here. This is obviously a really big win for Notre Dame. Um, I was not very uh, positive that the Irish were going to keep pace with Georgia Tech. Um, just kind of dreading every, this game all week, uh, kind of keeping my expectations pretty low. I'm super pumped that they won this game. I thought, you know, I said it in my review last year against uh, w- after the Virginia game. If they if they beat Georgia Tech and Navy, I think it's going to go a long way to the season being uh, something. Uh, pretty great. I don't know if it's going to be you know undefeated or 11 and one, but I think 10 and two just got a whole lot more likely. Um, you kind of look around the country. You know, USC lost this weekend. Clemson looked very, uh, very beatable this week against Louisville. Although they have about 500 days of rest before they play the Irish. Um, kind of give me your 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 big picture thoughts thoughts after this game. Um, you know, I think. The confidence has to be through the roof now for this Notre Dame team, which is kind of funny to, to, to say after the Virginia game. Yeah, um, and I was with you, Eric. I was sort of a 9-3 and guy before the start of the year. And, uh, I mean, it's just such a tough schedule, and we've just 
had such unfortunate luck with injuries. Obviously, that worries me. Um, but uh, but this was a big win, and this is one that I had penciled in as a, a loss coming into the year. So it shows you what I know about predicting the scores of football games and the outcomes. But uh, you know, this is a. Uh, I mean, it's a hard schedule, you know, we've had injuries, that sort of thing, but I'll tell you what I like about this team is, and I know it's a bit of a cliche, but this is a team that just is not going to give up, and they want to win, and you saw the same thing in 2012, there was just that kind of, we're just not going to give up, and we're just not going to lose type of attitude, and of course you always have to combine that with the ability to actually make plays and the guy that I think of is Will Fuller going up to Brian Kelly and saying get me the ball and I'll win the game lots of guys can do that anyone can say that that's easy but then he actually stepped up and uh, did it we're starting to see that from a number of players on the team um, one guy who I think needs to step up in that way is Kavari Russell um, He's been okay. He made a, a, a nice play against Georgia Tech on a one-on-one -on -one cover, but he hasn't been the lockdown guy that uh, that we all expected. And he needs. I mean, I know he's saying the right things, and you know, I know he's I know he's a leader, a vocal leader, but his play needs to needs to step up, and he needs to get to an elite level, and he's not there yet, which makes sense because he's at a year off. But there's a guy that we really need to get going here, and if we can get him going, boy, look out! There's uh, some pieces of the puzzle here that are pretty impressive. Yeah, I think going forward, if you want to talk about big picture for the season, I think next week is actually more important than Georgia Tech, uh, which is, I know is kind of a bold statement, but I think it's more important because, yeah, great, you got up for the game against a ranked opponent in your own house. That's wonderful. I'm glad that we won. But I want to see how you come out against UMass. Do you come out flat again? Is there is, is this quarterback going to be throwing up, you know, ducks that we're just going to let fall in between gaps in coverage? You know, I want to make sure that the transition from this week to next week is actually building and not we're just, oh, we had a great game, whoopee, now we're going next week and we're, you know, back to the same old, same old sort of thing. That's why I think this this is a big win from some, a building point of view, but I want to make sure that we're actually building off of it. Um, and I have to say, though, I'm really, really concerned, though, about going forward for the rest of the year in terms of this being a special season is the injuries. I mean, losing Drew Tranquil... For the rest of the year, is, is, it's big. You know, it's another just big injury to a key player who just did so many things in our system. And I guess I'll just mention a couple of details about that injury right now. Um, he's out for the year with an ACL injury. Um, as we know, he uh, tore an ACL at the end of last year. Uh, that was his left leg. This one is his right leg. Uh, so, you know, not related to the other injury at all. Um, uh, you know, outside of that, you know, it just stinks for the kid because he was having such a great game and was just displaying so much athleticism and commitment to the defense that uh, it's a real tough thing to watch him get hurt. Um, you know, safety is probably the one position I, I kept bringing up on all the podcasts in the offseason leading up to the season and fall camp, kind of saying this is not a position where we can have injuries. Uh, we need guys to step up, you know, among the starters. And right now, this is this is scarier than scary. You know, Redfield has a broken is it a broken thumb? I think he's got a cast on his hand. He doesn't even play against Georgia Tech. Um, thank God we still have Shoemate. Tranquil's gone. Sebastian's not going to be back for at least probably two to three weeks. Um, I guess they can move Farley there. I mean, you have to at this point. I mean, he's kind of been a safety uh, in fall camp. We haven't really seen him on the field as a safety yet. Other than that, we have Nicky Brody who. Well, we have no idea what his shoulder's like, if he's really, you know, in game shape and 100% healthy uh, at the level that Notre Dame needs him. Uh, we have John Turner, who's basically been a non-factor his entire career. Uh, Nico Fertitta, who's an undersized true freshman, basically just playing special teams. And Mike Kelty Williams, who we're kind of assuming he's going to redshirt the entire season, but I don't even know how realistic that is at this point. Um, Try to walk me down off the ledge here. Is, is safety not super scary right now? It Pos is. Positively scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, a position that was already thin and you've lost two critical backups here and, like you say, a starter who's injured, it's, uh, yeah, scary. <laughs> scary from the point of view that uh, Matthias Farley, for as good a leader and as, you know, as well as he played against Georgia Tech, has not had his best showing at safety. You know, he's really struggled. Admittedly, the year that he did struggle, 2013, 
um, he was injured for most of that year. So you got to take those failings with a bit of a grain of salt. But you got to hope that he can step in and get the job done um, on the back end there if, if, if necessary. All right, anything else you guys wanted to kind of recap with uh, with Georgia Tech? Any any other thoughts? Um, no, I think we covered pretty much everything. Just, you know, the wide receivers, gotta, you know, I think Lars, you know, sort of alluded to this. Is they got to step up. I mean, for, for a position that's so deep, I, I just it's kind of mind-blowing to see that, you know, it's only Will Filler and Chris Brown getting catches. You know, you kind of would expect to see more from Torrey Hunter. You know, for all for all the all the talk and all the consternation about the slot position is we don't see any production out of it. You know, I think that's just kind of an irony so far at the beginning of this this season. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, I we're gonna need to somehow get rid of this injury curse and and uh, you know, Phil, I wonder if some of these injuries that we've seen. I mean, some of it's just bad luck. Um, but I wonder for some of these guys that get these non-contact ACL injuries, how much of this is just an overuse thing? And I, I'm not talking about at University of Notre Dame. I'm talking these kids nowadays, you know, from the time they're in middle school, you know, they play football pretty much 12 months a year. And uh, we know from a, a long-term athlete development perspective, that's just not good. And and uh, so I wonder if, if some of that... Is just a result of, geez, these guys have just put on so much wear and tear on specific parts of their body because they're doing the same sport year-round, year after year after year. Yeah, I would think that there's a certain amount of truth to that. Uh, to sort of uh, bring, uh, I know I've heard in terms of baseball, uh, baseball is another sport where you get a lot of repetitive wear and tear, particularly for pitchers. Um, and I know that that's one of the suggested things in the literature and sort of out there, that the reason that the increase of Tommy John surgery, so basically elbow repair, which is, uh, I guess you can kind of say is analogous to ACL injuries, not in any real way, but just in terms of what we're talking about right now, because uh, it's an overuse injury that kids are pitching. It used to be baseball is a spring and summer sport. Now they're you know, playing winter ball. Now they're playing you know fall ball and all this sort of stuff. And connective tissue, the way it is, is it needs a long time to recover. It stays hurt for a long time, and it needs a long time to recover. So the whole concept of an actual off-season is essential to repair of connective tissue and get yourself ready to play. So I think that there probably is something there. I know that another thing that's a component that I've sort of floated on the board sometimes and an idea that I've been playing with is that because these guys are so athletic now and such finely tuned athletes, that the forces on their bodies are so extraordinary. You know, a guy who's, you know, running at such a fast pace with so much you know, physical mass on his body in terms of muscle mass, you know, and all of a sudden stops, the force of deceleration on, you know, the knee ligaments or, you know, the ankle ligaments, all these different uh, connective tissues, um, I would wager if somebody would actually go and do a study of this would find that those, those numbers have increased and these guys are actually suffering more wear and tear just because their bodies are putting out more energy and more force than uh, in previous generations. I don't know how true that is, but I think it's something worth, you know, somebody doing a PhD dissertation or something on because I think that that might be a factor here. Phil, I'm going to get on that in my spare time. I was watching uh, Brian Jones. I don't know if you guys know who that is. He was on uh, one of the, I think he's on, with CBS Sports. I know he's on C CBS Radio. Uh, he's actually pretty close with uh, with Whiskey, the founder of One Foot Down. Um he was on one of the college football shows yesterday with Rick Neuheisel, and uh, the the host basically was asking about all the injuries we're seeing, and you know these guys basically echoed what you guys were saying was, you know the players are just so big now, and the fields, the fields the same size, and and Brian Jones, a former player, he played at Texas and UCLA, played a little bit in the NFL, basically said, you know they're playing football 12 months a year, and there's no rest for their bodies, and you know it's just they, they just can't, they don't ever get that recuperation time. And, it's really sad to see Tranquil kind of work so hard to get back from his uh, knee injury that was suffered late last year. Um, you know, it was nice to have him back for the start of this year, but the good thing is he'll be able to redshirt. Um, hopefully he's healthy uh, for next year and able to go. Um, you know, I just want to talk a little bit about UMass. Have you guys seen the, the spread for this game, either of you? 
Not yet. No. Nope. Nah. Um, what do you guys think the spread is for this? 17. I was going to say 22. Um, you know, I probably would have guessed around there. It's 28 and a half right now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's pretty high. We don't. I mean, we don't usually have a lot of Notre Dame games with spreads quite this high. Uh, UMass opened up the year at Colorado. They got spanked pretty bad. Uh, they did come back this past week and almost beat Temple. Temple's been kind of one of the darlings of this early season. Um, you know, I think the one thing that fans need to know is UMass can throw the ball pretty well. 643 passing yards in two games already. So get ready for uh, lots and lots of throwing the ball. Which, uh, I don't know. We'll probably see a, a, a Virginia Part 2 type of uh, game plan. Um, but obviously UMass is not a very good team, but 28.5 points, that's a lot of points. That's a lot of points, and, and I have, I've done zero research on this. I have zero data to back this statement up other than, you know, being a Notre Dame fan for a lot of years, but we certainly tend not to play as well when we're favored as we do when we're a bit of an underdog. Um, Notre Dame tends to be a little better when the back's against the wall and not quite as good as, as front runners, so um, yeah, you could probably make a little money with uh, taking those 28 points. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. And I, I agree with you, Lars. I mean, I think that that's what I was mentioning before is that we want to see progression from this game. I want to come out and we want to win by 28 points. You know, even if we just score 28, you know, I still want to win to get that margin because our defense came out and shut down what should be a vastly inferior team. You know, I don't mean any disrespect to UMass, but let's just, you know, Let's be real about this. You know, there's no reason why this guy, whoever their quarterback is, should be getting up there. And we're going to be saying after the game, well, he had the game of his life. Because like I said to Eric last week, you know, I'm getting kind of tired of that one. Let's play some solid defense. Let's let's get in front of their receivers. Let's make some plays and let's uh, not let this guy throw it all over the yard. Yep, I'd, I'd agree with that. And one thing that I'd add, Phil, is. You know, I think Notre Dame under the Brian Kelly era has been not a supremely talented team. They, they We've definitely had talented players, but generally speaking, we've been a team that's well-coached, that's prepared, that plays tough. And so, you know, you know, we tend to rise to the occasion in big games, but I think that's one of the reasons why we haven't blown teams out. You know, those teams that are kind of well-coached and that are solid, they tend not to blow people out, and they tend to sometimes play a little better than maybe their talent level would indicate. You know, I think... and. I think most fans would agree with this, that we're at the point where we, we think that maybe the athleticism is caught up here, that you know this is a pretty talented football team. And so based on that, we should start to see some blowouts in, in some of these games. And uh, certainly hopeful that that's the case. And it sure would be nice for the Irish to, uh, to get a comfortable lead, get some kids in. But I'll tell you right now, I, I wouldn't bet the farm on it, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. So... I'm just looking. I just looked at this real quickly. Um, Notre Dame's beaten 11 teams by at least 25 points since Brian Kelly took over. So we're in the sixth year. This could be the 12th opponent. Kind of averaging two blowout wins of over 25 points per season. Um, that's 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 higher than I thought it would have been. Yeah, I was actually. I thought it'd be maybe four or five teams. Yeah. But, um, well, how many of those were in 2012? Um, three of them were the Navy game, the Miami game, and the Wake Forest game. Hmm. Also had three of them in 2011: Purdue, Air Force, and Navy. Um, oh yeah. Okay. And then only only two last year: Rice and Michigan, and then obviously the Texas game this year. So, you know, this is that's that's a decent amount. That's not something that you would see. You know, Alabama probably has twice that amount, if not more. But yeah. Um, kind of. You know, what are you guys thinking this week? Would you think Notre Dame's going to win by 25 or more? I, I want to say they better because, like I said, I think that's going to be an indication of what we took away from the Georgia Tech game. I want to see the defense, you know, the defense let up a little at the end of the game. I want to see them come out hungry. The offense, like uh, we've already talked about, has left a bunch of points on the field, and I want to see them come out hungry and say, hey, you know, especially a guy like Chris Brown and say, hey, I'm not going to be dropping, you know, easy comeback hurts. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna come up and I'm gonna catch that ball and I'm gonna get some yards after the catch. I want to see a little hunger, and a little. Uh, there's more to prove. This team definitely has more to prove. They've proved a lot, but there's more to prove. I'm expecting a little bit of a letdown. Uh, I hope not, and you know, in my mind, I hope we can just come out there and break a couple big runs and just 
break their spirit right away. Um, you know, I just still think this is a team that's coming on into its own. It's young in some places, and uh, I think coming into the we're coming into the meat of the schedule here with Clemson, Navy, and uh, USC. So, you know, you're, when you're sandwiched between. I mean, really, we got the crux of our season coming up here in a lot of ways. Um, you know, so I wouldn't be stunned if there's a little bit of a letdown. My hope is that we learned a bit of a lesson after the Texas game, and uh, and it won't be as bad, but uh, we'll see. And I know that uh, the Irish are trying not to look forward to USC, but uh, I know that, you know, because uh, me and some of my buddies from Canada are going to be there, that they're going to be pretty excited for that game. So <laughs> I'm I'm expecting that I'll be getting an email from Brian Kelly at some point about addressing the team before the game. <laughs> so I'm pretty excited about that. just want to let everyone know that. And I'll just say you're welcome in advance, everyone. It's a great speech. Yeah, I definitely think there's a, a letdown factor coming into this game. Um, you know, something like a 45 to 21 score, does that seem unrealistic? That would be a 24-point margin, I guess, I you know, that. depending on how that plays out. I could see UMass maybe adding a garbage time score just because they throw the ball so much, and you know, teams like that usually uh, are, are likely to get a backdoor cover, but um, that doesn't seem like too crazy, does it? I guess that would be my early prediction, 45-21. Yeah. yeah, that sounds and, about right. And I and I gotta say I agree with Phil that we really need to just lay the hammer down on somebody and you know I think that's the next progression for this program is let's just go in and thump these guys and so I agree with him 100 percent it would it would be nice to see this team come in just locked in saying yeah you know you're gonna come into our house and we're gonna lay a licking on you um, so hopefully that's what we see. How about this move? Uh, is this bold? Is this too bold? How about you sit CJ ProSize for the first quarter? Hmm, that's interesting. Try uh, to get try to get uh, Josh Adams more reps. Maybe get Dexter Williams. Involved well, I think that might early. that might be an interesting uh, psychological move on the from the point of the uh, the offensive line. If you, if Brian Kelly and Harry Easton went to the offensive line and said, "We're going to sit our top running back, but we're going to expect you to still get." X amount of yards, so you guys go get them. You know, maybe that'll uh, that's an interesting psychological experiment. That's pretty much an old Newt Rockney trick. So it sounds like. <laughs> I guess. Uh, Precise. Let me let me just jump in on this one because I think it's a really good point. Precise has been phenomenal, but uh, I don't know that he can continue at this pace. And and uh, Adams and Williams need to play more. No question about that. They need to get in there. In fact, there was uh, I think it might have been before the pick, but I stand to be corrected on that. Adams screwed up and went the wrong way on a play. And uh, of course, the commentators didn't even mention it. Pretty pretty typical. Um, I might do the commentating for the USC game as well, but. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> After the pregame speech, I'll also do the uh, sideline interview. But again, I'm, that's an aside. Um, you know, those guys need to get in there and play. I think that's absolutely critical. They're not getting enough reps, and uh, boy, CJ's getting a lot of wear and tear on the body. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that was right before the interception. That was uh, right deep in the red zone. Um, last thing before we get out of here. Um, normally, I don't really pay attention to the announcers, and since you brought it up, Lars. Um, you know, I tend to ignore what the guys are saying, but Doug Flutie was so bad in this game. I thought this was, I mean, I think it was the one play where ProSize scored, and he started talking about the grass and how, like, <laughs> well, I don't, what was he trying to say there? It was just like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, a color guy. Oh, the thing about the slippage of the foot? If it... I don't know. That was that, that became very existential, a little too existential. Yeah. For he said if, you step, if you're stepping in bounds, but the... The inbounds green turf moves the the white. I think what turf. he was trying to say is that if your foot gets planted inbounds, but then as you push off your foot and your foot slides laterally and then touches the white line, are you still in bounds or out of bounds? Like I would assume you're out of bounds. Once you're out of bounds, you're out of bounds. But I, that's what he was trying to. That was that was the conundrum he was posing, um, and I think Dan Hicks basically said, "I have no clue what you're talking about, Doug." And, uh, <laughs> just just wait for Boston College game. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be great. It's gonna get it's gonna be so much better. 
Yeah, it's been uh, it's been bizarre. It's like it's like they you know sent them to a hippie commune or something for a week before, and you know get their tie dye on. It's these <laughs> poems and you know soliloquies on you know where your foot is in relationship to the sideline. Yeah, it's a little bizarre. Maybe it's just us. Although I think they're still better than uh, when it's a, a non Notre Dame crew. You know, and we get like last week on ABC, and oh, you know, these guys don't follow Notre Dame closely, so they just don't have a clue and it's sort of these these uh, cliched talking lines over and over again so yeah some of those lower tier ESPN announcers are just uh, just cringeworthy you know <laughs> it's, it's just brutal one other thing just before we go the things that we shouldn't care about this early in the season are the rankings Notre Dame moved up to the six in the AP poll I'm sorry Ole Miss is not the third team in the country I am sorry uh, you know I don't know if you guys watched that game last night but both teams just looked Inept. I'll be honest with you. Alabama did not look good on offense. Ole Miss's defense looked hard. I just I've never seen so many defensive players just run past a player and just not even just not tackle well or not wrap up, just run past players and just just miss. And you know, oh man, I was watching that game last night and I was just getting so mad because I'm watching it to myself. I'm like, whoever wins this game is going to get such a bump in the polls, either whether it's Alabama, but if Ole Miss wins, we're going to basically catapult Ole Miss to the top because apparently everybody who plays Bama from here on out is playing 2011 Bama and not 2015 Bama. So, I, you know, and it was the worst profit, self-fulfilling prophecy I saw. You know, it just drove me up a wall when the rankings come out. I know I shouldn't be upset about it, but I mean, come on, Ole Miss look, didn't look good last night. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know if I would say that they aren't the number three team, but uh, you kind of get the feeling that this isn't going to be like a dominating Alabama team. I think this is the first time I just quickly looked since 2008 when they really haven't had a different difference maker at quarterback. I know everyone loves to talk about how Saban has great defense and a run game, but they've had a really good run of quality quarterback play, and right now they're just not getting it, and you can see how it's kind of affecting everything on offense. Um, they have plenty of weapons on offense and a good offensive line. They should be doing a lot more, and uh, it kind of killed them. Um, anything else you guys want to say before we get out of here uh, as we look forward to UMass next week? Nope. That's all for me. All right, that's the One Foot Down podcast. I'm Eric. That's Phil and Lars. Check out onefootdown.com for more Notre Dame football coverage, and we will see you guys next week. <laughs>